The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box, your headlines this hour. Alphabet beats expectations, posting record profits as ad sales surge. But the stock dips in extended trade despite the search giant reporting minimal impact from Apple's iOS changes. Microsoft also touting top-line strength with its best quarterly sales growth since 2018, with the tech giant's cloud business continuing to outperform. China's factories report accelerating profit growth despite the world's second-largest economy struggling with rising raw material prices, supply chain bottlenecks and electricity rationing. Meanwhile, Democrats propose a new tax on America's most profitable companies as President Biden's party looks to find the money to pay for his ambitious Build Back Better plan. As we kick off the programme this morning, Deutsche Bank numbers are coming through. So let's have a quick look at the third quarter numbers for this leading German bank. The numbers have breezed past both revenue and profit expectations. Let's give you the headline. The net revenue in at a little over 6 billion euros, 6.04 billion euros. The consensus expectation was for something around the order of 5.79 billion. So that's a handy beat on the revenue line. In terms of the net profit attributable to shareholders and 194 million euro, the uh, market was looking for 135 million. So again, that's a handy beat on the expectation. As we dip into the number, uh, it's clear that they've benefited from the uptick in trading activity in the markets, like many of the other banks have reported for this period. Third quarter fixed sales and trading revenues in at 1.58 billion euro. The Deutsche Bank CEO says now confident of achieving targets for 2022. The uh, bank says in 2021, group and core bank revenues are expected to be essentially flat compared to the prior year. But for full year 2022, we expect to earn at least 25 billion euro of revenue at the group level. So a reconfirmation of targets here, um, a prediction of a, a flat revenue outcome for full year 2021 but a jam tomorrow prediction as far as the CEO is concerned for 2022. Provisions for credit losses in at 117 million euros, which is a a relatively small amount, as you'll uh, recognise really, in terms of what the anticipation was for many banks in Europe. Capital ratio, good. Uh, CT1 ratio in at 13%. The estimate was for 13.1%. So more or less in line here. Third quarter net income, 329 million uh, euros against the estimate of 280 million. Uh, If I can find any other exciting results in here, pretty much a confirmation then, I think, of a broader improvement on the top and bottom line 
kind of thing we've been seeing from a lot of the banks, um, particularly in the United States. But clearly we saw good numbers from UBS yesterday. And it does show that I think these banks are, one, flattered by the comparisons mm. and two, benefiting from the uptake in market-related activity. And it's the clients, really. The, they are firing on all cylinders. Or we, as you mentioned, the UBS numbers yesterday, the management fees that is extracting from all these clients coming to them with inflows, mm. uh, that's been very positive. And you can see even in these numbers, the asset management division, uh, very much a standout performer here that uh, up 17% year over year. And they're talking about the highest level for seven quarters. Management fee, uh, the highest level for six years. Some of this is also down to, to money coming in because markets are performing. But also, don't forget ESG. We've been talking about it. We've been counting down to COP26 and uh, flagged up in the numbers today. Uh, they're talking about uh, net inflows were 12 billion euros, reflecting contributions across all asset pillars, including 5 billion in ESG assets. So the highest quarterly ESG inflows of 2021 to date. So well, that's probably no accident. It's in the lead up to COP. So money is moving off the sidelines or away from different asset classes into ESG and uh, Deutsche is trying to benefit from that. Yeah, a couple more lines here. The um, um, lines from the conference call, the uh, group says we're now, or rather the CEO says we're now about two thirds away from the transformation program at Deutsche Bank. And we think disciplined execution is allowing us to uh, generate this uh, better performance. Uh, the capital release unit outperforming against 2022 goals, which we outlined at the last investor deep dive, risk-weighted assets down to 30 billion euros, and the unit continues to reduce costs. And um, the benefit of that is profitability in all three quarters of this year, which have delivered significant year-on-year profit growth while simultaneously keep, keeping on pace for the transformation. Uh, we are going to uh, catch up with the bank. Uh, Annetta has been speaking already to the CFO at Deutsche Bank, James Van Moltke. He said, oh no, I can't tell you until 7.30 because the interview is embargoed. But I promise you, 7.30 CET, you will hear the CFO's views on how this bank is performing and why they are comfortable with the latest set of numbers. And let's turn to DWS. Uh, the company embroiled in some concerns around greenwashing of late, and that's been impacting the stock price. So you may recall that it's been under investigation by the SEC, by the US Securities and Exchange Commission, this over allegedly overstating its ESG credentials. And that stretches across a one trillion fund range. Uh, the company itself in recent weeks also launching an external investigation about uh, how it's been uh, representing those assets. So uh, what we're looking at in terms of the overall business, a net flows of 12 billion euros in the third quarter, resulting in a record 32.6 billion euros in the first nine months of the year. Uh, September net flows were 4.8 billion euros and net flows in ESG funds, 5 billion in the third quarter. So again, uh, we're seeing a break it here around ESG money coming into the system. Adjusted costs increased by 4%. The company is talking about up 10% uh, year over year driven by a mix of drivers, including increased costs for services in connection with higher 
uh, assets under management as well as professional fees associated with growth projects. Adjusted cost income is at a record low of 59.2% in the third quarter and adjusted profit before tax increased by 10% to an all-time high of 271 million euros. Uh, in terms of what we're also seeing, total revenues up 6%, assets under management further up by 21 billion euros. So the company's talking about strong business momentum that it's seeing in the business in all months of the third quarter management fees and adjusted profit before tax at record highs. So that is a very strong level. And they're also talking about uh, all three pillars, active, passive and alternatives uh, together contributed to those net inflows, which is, I think is fascinating to talk about parts of the market that investors are going after. And I think that does ring true, actually. We've seen a lot of very active stock picking out there. We keep talking about a stock picker's market, but also on the passive side, uh, we've seen the, the, the indices stateside, again, tick up to fresh records. So even if you are passive mm. tracking the index, you're doing well. And then alternatives, we're hearing a lot about uh, the volatility and a lot of funds are concerned about whether they're hedged or unhedged at this point. And I think you're seeing more hedging. So that ticks the alternatives box. It's got to be challenging going forward, though, isn't it, for the for all of these businesses? And we know it's been a difficult environment. The passive has presented an opportunity to build ETF product and make a turn on the sale of those products here. But this is a bare-knuckle fight, this sector. It is so competitive. And interestingly, coming into these numbers, just a few days ago, we already had the head of passive products over at DWS, Michael Moore, announced that the group was actually halving fees across the passive range, even as they were bringing some new ESG products to the market, obviously to take advantage of what they see as a shift in the trend and what people want to invest in perhaps is is product that has more ESG exposure and profile. And obviously, a lot of insurance companies now where they are looking to invest, they do want to tick the box on that particular product. But I think the fact that the fee cut is as aggressive as it is tells you something about how challenging it is right now to make a whole lot of money in the passive space if you are a product creator particularly if you are not the biggest in that space. Some of those companies uh, like um, uh, BlackRock, they can probably weather the reduction in fees here, but it will have consequences, obviously, for the bottom line on some of these other businesses. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it, as you talk about that fee reduction. But to just a final point here, we haven't really seen anything addressed around these greenwashing allegations. Uh, the company, you think it would be in the Outlook statement, they're still saying for year 2021 remains unchanged. I'm talking about their cost-income ratio in the low 60s, we're reiterating their net flow target of more than 4%. The medium term, the, uh, targeting those areas around ESG passive high-margin strategies uh, are fully committed on aspirations, but nothing really in here mm. on the external investigation or what the SEC is up to. Um, I presume this will work through the legal wheels, but I don't suppose anybody wants to put their head above the parapet at this point and make a comment as it's being addressed by the lawyers. Well, Annetta will also be speaking to the CFO of DWS. That's Claire Peel. Be sure to catch that interview. It is a first on CNBC at 8.15 Central European time. But I guess we, we should talk about those technology stocks. Yeah, it was the big item stateside, wasn't it? Shares of Microsoft edged higher in extended trade after reporting a beat in earnings in the previous quarter. Revenue jumped 22% year on year to more than $45 billion with cloud services continuing to be the tech giant's fastest growing area. We know surprise given the trends we're still seeing a lot of remote work and uh, the connectivity that we've seen over the course 
of the pandemic where digitization of services has been a major theme for a lot of corporates. Meanwhile, over at Alphabet, uh, third quarter revenue at Google's parent company came in at $65 billion, easily beating on the top and bottom lines. When it comes to YouTube, uh, this is where advertising revenue grew more than 43%. The previous year to $7.2 billion. Also some comments that this was the area of the business where you were seeing some of those iOS changes having a little bit of an impact uh, versus broadly where the rest of the business was pretty much protected from some of those changes. Well, Twitter shares are up in extended trade after meeting expectations for the third quarter results. The social media giant's revenue reached nearly $1.3 billion. That was up 37% compared to the same time a year ago. Twitter says it was far less impacted by changes to Apple's privacy policies than its competitors, Facebook and Snap, and expects only a modest disruption in the upcoming quarter. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the company's CFO, Ned Siegel. That is a first on interview and will be at 1440 CET. Let's get to Richard Windsor, who is founder of Radio Free Mobile. Uh, Richard, uh, thank you very much for joining us. I want to kick it My off uh, with the Microsoft uh, numbers. We saw a very decent uh, set of results crossing and really leaning into those cloud computing trends that we're seeing. Uh, the Azure revenue growing slightly in the quarter, although if you looked at the currency basis, it did uh, show that uh, accelerated from the prior quarter. So can I just get into that? What's next on the cloud? You still see momentum for, for businesses like Microsoft in this area. Yeah, there's still definitely momentum because largely if you look outside of China, this really remains a game of two players, which is uh, Amazon AWS and Azure. Most interestingly, my take home from the Azure numbers is compare them to what happened at Google Cloud. Now, Google Cloud is supposed to be the new upcoming rival, didn't fare nearly as well, which is interesting. And I think it plays into the fact that, you know, Microsoft is now a comp company that's completely focused on the enterprise. Google is much more consumer oriented. And I think as a result of that, Google is struggling a little bit with its enterprise offering. We saw the Windows 11 launch early this month, and uh, there have been some supply chain issues uh, that are well and truly noted across the board, but it didn't really take the shine off the, the Windows 11 launch, did it? No, and to be honest with you, I'm not convinced that Microsoft wanted it to. Um, if you look at what they're doing, it's not like they're going to start trying to sell it or anything. It's a free upgrade for every Windows 10 user. This is more about, this is much more about Microsoft continuing to try and drive loyalty to the Windows platform, to Office 365, which works best on Windows, rather than actually making a big splash with a new and fancy operating system. Richard, I'm, I'm looking at these all-time highs and I'm looking at the run that we've seen for most of these stocks on a 12-month basis. And I'm asking myself, how much more is there in there for these businesses to give me before year end and into early 2022? And then I listened to our friends over at Bank of America, who overnight told CNBC, I think it was uh, Savita uh, Subraman, the head of equity strategy over there, that we see more downside risk through year end. Now, that was primarily about the S&P. But obviously, it does raise some questions about how thin the air is getting around some of these tech businesses. What do you think? 
I think that's absolutely the right concern. The caveat, of course, is we've had this concern every single quarter so far this year, and every single quarter of my concerns have proved to be badly timed, if we if we put it that way. The way I think to look at this is look at the reactions of the share prices. Um, you know, Microsoft edges up a little bit on cracking numbers. Google actually goes down on fantastic numbers, which does, when it comes to the fundamentals, it plays exactly to the valuation argument. The counter argument to that is, is that while the Federal Reserve continues to push negative real interest rates, everyone in the bond market is going, where am I going to go for yield? They all come to the equity market. And a large part of that capital, I think, is parked in these stocks. And I think it's not until you start to see perhaps a change and people start to think, OK, maybe I should go back to the bond market now because real interest rates are a bit better than they were, that you might start to see that change. Mm. Um, there are some obvious areas where it seems to me there's a lot of opportunity for growth still. And I think um, cloud and uh, and some of the conversation that you and Karen were having kind of illustrates that. Where do you think we are in terms of companies playing the digitization card and there still being plenty of room ahead for the likes of Microsoft and Amazon and some of these other cloud providers to, to do well over the first half of next year? I think in the you know in the immediate short term, i.e. the next twelve months or so, the the outlook is pretty good. I think what you might see is you might start to see some slowing, but that really, to be honest with you, that's really only normal um, when the numbers start to get this big, and you know, and the you know the accelerated rollouts triggered by the pandemic start to slow down. But then again, if you then look at from a valuation perspective, Microsoft, not particularly interesting, but Amazon's come down a long, long way. So if you're more valuation oriented um, and you want to invest in the cloud, Amazon might be one to look at. And, you know, another one obviously to look at, and again, full disclosure, I own a position in Alibaba, Ali, Ali Cloud, which is the leader in China. The stock has been crucified thanks to Chinese regulation, but the outlook now looks a bit better. That's another one perhaps to consider. Richard, there was a lot in the earnings reports about iOS, how Apple has been upending the market uh, in terms of the advertising tracking changes. Uh, Snap, Facebook in particular, impacted Alphabet, uh, Twitter, not so much. We've got Apple coming out uh, on Thursday with numbers. What do you think we're likely to see from the services side to uh, the devices side? Um, I think we're going to see a fairly steady report from Apple. I mean, the new device hasn't been out that long. It's most likely to impact the Christmas quarter. So I'm not expecting an enormous amount from Apple. But the impact that Apple has had on this quarter has been very patchy. And I think it tells you two things. One, Apple's impact with its advertising issues has been predominantly around video-based advertising. And two, it's hitting the smaller end of the market and not so much the larger end of the market, which is telling you perhaps there's a little bit, little bit of caution due to supply chain going into Q4 in terms of companies' ability to ramp up their sales for increased demand, which would then hit their willingness to, to uh, advertise. And as a result of that, they're sticking with the really essential ones, Facebook, Google, and so on, and perhaps not so much, uh, not so much with the likes of Snap. Richard, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Richard Windsor, founder of Radio Free Mobile, uh, explaining where you want to place your chips in the tech sector. Uh, Coming up on the programme then, industrial profit growth in China picks up speed despite rising costs and supply chain disruptions. We'll have more on that when we come back. 
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, Karen, I've got a question for you. Yes. What do the Queen and Xi Jinping have in common? Uh, big homes. That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. You could go down the unelected uh, head of state route as well, if oh, you like. Oh, OK. But yes, yes. Wasn't what I was thinking. Neither of them seem to be going to COP now. Oh, of course. There you go. Yes, yes. Uh, which is interesting because um, we thought... Obviously, the Queen would be there, even though Xi Jinping seems not to be mm. attending. But we haven't had the official confirmation yet. Yes, her health seems to be an issue, right? Uh, her Majesty yes. uh, admitted to hospital recently. Yes. Cancelled a tour of Northern Ireland. Yes. So this... Well, you're very well informed about the Queen. <laughs> yes. You don't buy those... <laughs> didn't draw the, draw the comparison to Xi Jinping, though. <laughs> yes, yeah. Do you buy those magazines that have all that information? Uh, no, there yeah. are online newspapers available right. that provide the same oh, level there. of content on a daily oh, basis. Oh. I better catch up with those. <clears throat> um, yes, OK, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I think you nailed it. Um, Chinese industrial, we'll move on. There is a connection you see here to the next story. Uh, Sam, she's probably there rolling her eyes thinking, when are they going to get to me? Then I can go home. Uh, Chinese industrial firm profits have risen 13, oh, sorry, 16.3% in September compared to a year before, driven by strong growth in the mining and raw materials sector. Profit growth accelerated from August's 10.1%. Let's get out now to Sam, who's got more on these numbers. Uh, and Sam, interesting, um, I heard you talking about this on Capcom, and you were pointing up some of the issues around energy, energy prices, and how they've been subsidised. Good morning to you, Jeff. I do like that comparison you just drew, but certainly this data today does tell us a lot about the picture of the energy sector right now over in China. As you say, we did see an acceleration after six months of slowing growth when it came to those profits at industrial firms in China. We did see a bit of a slowdown when it came to January to September compared to the first eight months of the year. But of course, that September number does come despite these high raw material costs, these supply chain bottlenecks, and also the energy shortage across the country all weighing on on these already squeezed profit margins. But if we look under the hood in terms of what happened here and what really drove that growth in terms of those headline numbers, the Stats Bureau has said, as you pointed out, it is profitability in the manufacturing of these raw materials. The coal sector, for instance, saw triple digit growth for the first nine months of the year. Uh, but the power companies really felt the squeeze. They actually saw the profits fall 25%. So that really dragged uh, on the first nine months of the year. We do know that China, of course, has been trying trying to ramp up this local coal production to uh, really try to cool these prices, but also address this energy situation in the country. And now in perhaps the most uh, significant move that we have seen is that the government uh, just this month has said that they will allow these coal-fired power plants to actually pass on the costs to these commercial customers. So perhaps we will see the impacts of that in next month's numbers. But certainly uh, from this data we got today, it does seem that the upstream players are 
are really driving this growth. They're shaking off these higher costs with the downstream players, not so much. They are absorbing the cost. They can't pass them on as easily. So it does go to show we are still seeing imbalances in this profitability at these industrial firms. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.